intro. Time to get political. That's the, that's how we start a podcast now. Is this a politics podcast? Oh, it's the worst one. But we're a part let's of not... the, we're a part of the dirtbag left. Yeah, uh, let's not talk about politics. Uh, yeah, I don't know how you did on the recent storm. Oh, that's a cool guy. I don't know how you did with the recent storm. What storm? You guys didn't. You got. You definitely got a storm. When was it? It was Monday. Or Tuesday. It was Tuesday when the, the new act came out for Valorant. Yeah. I don't know. There, it you was windy. Get, you, didn't get a, you didn't get a bad storm? It was windy. Some people got got just like decimated and lost power for days. I am luckier, but still it was, oh, it was the most frustrating. It was just such a frustrating day. And to go back to, to be like, I, I, I didn't play Valorant that much on Monday. And the next day was big new act, Killjoy, new skin, all this kind of stuff. And I was like, tomorrow's my big Valorant day before I go back to work for for two days or whatever. And then we lost power at one. It was just wind. It was just a little windy. We lost power at one. And then when I was like, we also lost um, like cell service. So I couldn't really uh, like use my phone. Because then at least I would do something. I would use my phone. I'd be on YouTube or something. Um, yeah, I couldn't do all the. I lost my the book that I was reading currently, um, so I couldn't do well, that. And look uh, on the bright side, though. At least if you don't have cell service, you can't catch coronavirus. That's true, but you don't have that. Yeah. Oh, it's getting political. It's getting political up here. You know, I'm doing the thing where you like you uh, you put your finger in and you make the uh, the 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 uh, neck of your shirt wider. You know, mm. the head hole. What is that? Sure, I don't know what and that means. Like, but you, yeah, you know, when it. it's like, oh, I'm hot. It's hot under the collar. You know? Yeah, but it uh, yeah, I guess it was uh, so so. Didn't you have like a single player board game you could play? I mean, I didn't. Couldn't well, you do who, Thousand Year Vampire? I don't have what did you do? Like, I, I, oh wait, I, you couldn't do Thousand Year Vampire, right? Because it's a PDF. That's a P- Thousand Year Vampire is a PDF. I haven't gotten the uh, the book of it yet. I you know something I would maybe do is like play drums. My drums are electronic. Um, so like, and then anything that I could do on my phone, like my regular gotcha garbages. Um, were are all online, so I couldn't do it without. What without about your cell switch? Service. Do you not? Do you not have like? Um, My switch was dead. You don't have battery packs. You don't keep like. Uh, uh, I banks? mean, this did make me think that like I should get just like a yeah, uh, like a charger, just one of those big fat yeah. charger I have things. A, I have like a twelve-hour power bank. Uh, that is just actually, always charging. I got the power banks back when um, Pokemon Go was a thing. Yeah. Because I, uh, I would be just like, because because that game when it first came out would really burn your battery. Yeah. So I I just always had one. I had it in my backpack. There was like this really beautiful time in my life. It was a uh, after Pokemon Go came out, but before I got a job. Uh, so essentially, like I had just moved into Queens, uh, but Pokemon Go was a thing, right? So after I was done sending out like you know a dozen or so applications in a day, I would just go out walking yeah and that's how i found like you know a couple of the good restaurants that i like and how i you know trained up my pokemon apparently that game is like still thriving i i mean were you reading were you watching giant bomb is all you're saying because uh, there watching? was a were, were yeah. you were you listening i heard about the festival there was like the digital festival sounds really smart yeah i don't, Although, I don't think i could get back into it but yeah, well, I mean, you have enough mobile games to play and to waste money on, right? For sure. But I also, I mean, like, I, I, I would be interested to at least look at what they've done to the gameplay, because it was so bare bones. 
such a disappointing game for how like kind of fun and what a what a good era like what a good zeitgeist it was at the time i remember i was working at uh, a private ambulance company and there's a lake like kind of near my house a town over uh argyle you'd be familiar with it and there was like a million it was crazy like the whole just walking in circle around the lake there was tons of whatever though like the polka stop thing or towers or whatever it was um and lots of pokemon spawning and i even got like rare pokemon uh some nights they would spawn in because just the rate was so high and people were always putting those um like lures or whatever it is the incense yeah uh so it was pretty crazy and like sometimes i'd there was there was a time where there's one night where i was like working and we like park the ambulance in front of the lake and we're walking around and people are all like talking to us in uniform it was fun it was a pretty good time yeah, but the blackout messed you up. Uh, eventually, did. you got I mean, back like, on. Yeah, you did so, get to play some Valorant. I, I, yeah, well, it came back on, and then I kept losing power. I kept like I would lose power in like in these like hour like for hour for hours until because I was still playing like Ghost of Sixty Dollars because I I gave up with everything on my computer because I was just scared that my computer just constantly being power surged. So uh, we because we played a little bit of Valorant and then I got uh my my computer just froze that was not even a power thing like my computer just locked up which has happened before during valorant um and then uh after that we we got locked out for like 50 minutes 50 minutes so uh we wanted to play something else we were playing the, the board game fort uh with friend of the show ryan galway thank you ryan galway crying for the use of music we use the intro natural revive off the old album beyond fleeting gales you can't find them at the river band camp and uh, we were playing Fort, and then I did lose power, and then that started this cycle where for, uh, from, like, 10 to, like, 3 in the morning, we were losing power constantly, so I went to sleep, and then I woke up, and it was, like, ridiculously hot in my room because we lost power for a couple hours, and my fan stopped and everything. It was very frustrating. But Dang. I, so what I did during that time um, was that the only thing that I had... I was going stir crazy. It's insane how like, well, I mean like I have a lot of digital things. So like even if my or or electronic things. So even my like you know drum set is something that would be like oh you know I can't do computer stuff. I'll, I'll play drums. But if you don't have power, you know, you know it doesn't work like that well if it's an electronic drum set. So all I had my only offline game was Go, the ancient Chinese game of Go, which I had recently kind of been interested in. There was a, a shut up and sit down review of it for Chess Month or whatever. I guess it's not chess month anymore. And um, there, I watched the documentary AlphaGo. Okay, what is that? It's a, a Google developed just because, like, you know, whenever you're thinking that there's any sort of like human magic left in this world, we erase it by showing that like computers will always just be better and smarter. And at some point, when computers are able to like function autonomously and learn or even, like, build other computers that, like, obviously were done as a race, which is fine because we only got, like, another 100 years left due to global warming. It's getting political. And uh, so uh, Google developed uh, this deep mind computer that can learn, and it, they taught it to play Go, and it beat the uh, world's best Go player for the last decade, basically. Um, and it beat him in, like like, five games in a row. Wow. Yeah. So, and it was, it was interesting because 
uh, like one of the reasons why it was so interesting was that uh, it was previously thought that like this would have been one of the hardest games for a computer to ever learn. Um, like computers are, are like an AI can learn something like chess very easily because there's a very uh, small number of routes and you can perfectly yeah. plan. And in Go, it's kind of impossible. This is a this is a this is one of those statistics that is wild that they throw out. There is more variations on a Go board than there are atoms in the universe. Like, there's more ways to play out a Go game than there are atoms in the, the universe. I don't think that's true. They, they say that in the. I mean, they, it's a they documentary. Might say that, but it's I don't a documentary. believe it. I don't care. It's a documentary. I don't believe them. Yeah, I know. It doesn't make any sense, right? It's insane. There's infinite atoms in the universe. I mean, that's not true. No, not true. No, I guess there's finite atoms in the universe, but there there's more than permutations on a go board. This uh, is a fact. They say. I mean, it's not a fact, but they say it, and it's from a documentary. So, well, think about that. I've never been deceived by a documentary. They always are right. Um, so, uh, I I've been kind of, and then the more I kind of like found out about it, and I downloaded you know a free Go app. And the more I found out about it, the more intrigued I've been. Uh, so I, I've still been playing that uh, against a uh, the lowest the, the computer set to the lowest um, difficulty, and I just I can uh, I went from like losing every single game to winning one out of every five or so. It's very fascinating, and there's so many cool things like that I didn't know about Go. So like first of all, one thing I really love is that go built into like legal rules of go there's all this cool complexity around uh handicap rules and uh different go boards so like new player so the so tr all pro players are basically playing on this 19 by 19 board and it's large the games are a lot longer and but they but you can legally also play and like rules are are there to, and it works fine on a 13 by 13 or for new players a 9 by 9 a very like small board that can you can play the games out really fast and learn you know the the basic strategies and patterns and stuff like that so i really like that i really think that's really cool that like that's a built in part of go and then there's a handicapping system where the worst player goes first takes the black stones and they are also they're allowed to uh, uh, like handicap. You can get a five up to a five handicap where like there's specific points on the board that the player can just go and put five up to five stones before the game even starts. So that you know white is going in with the black already having five stones. So that's a really cool. Whatever thing. that means, I don't know how to play Go. Yeah. So uh, Go has like two rules, which is crazy. It's like so easy to explain Go, but then it's like unbelievably um, complex in application, which is another reason why it's really cool. It's amazing that people still want to play chess. I feel like it's like a one for one kind of like if you want to play a one versus one battle of wits, like this is like Go just like. So we should play some Go after. I this. would love to play some Go. So so okay. So here's the rules of Go. You ha you have the I, like I said nine by nine board, thirteen by thirteen board, or nineteen by nineteen for the pros. Um, and one player is black, one player is white. The black player goes first. Uh, the, they, you can place anywhere. The board starts out empty. So you can place anywhere on any of the intersections of the board. And uh, the main kind of uh, concept, like the big concept that everything revolves around, uh, is that once you place a stone down, 
whatever intersections it's touching, it has to have liberties, which are like open intersections. So if the okay. a stone is ever surrounded completely, then the stone dies. Um, so you would think is that... Is that on eight sides or on four? Four sides. Okay. Without, yeah, not counting diagonal. So only like orthogonally. But um, uh, so you would kind of think that the game was just all around, you know, like surrounding the stones. But it really what it ends up being is like a actual, actually kind of the first dudes on a map board game where uh, the, the goal of the game is to, if the game ends when both players decide that they could no longer play. Like, it's, like, they get to, like, there's no, like, score that it hits or ends at. It's just that both players agree that, like, anything I do is going to be worse for me now. Like, if I play if I play anything, you're going to take it, and it's not going to be worth anything. So both players have to pass in a row for the game to end. And the game, the winner is the player that has basically, like, taken the most territory. And that's, like, open, empty spaces that, like, they surround. So that's the game, is you, you're trying to connect a lot of, like, long lines of stones to surround open areas. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, so that's interesting. So yeah. you played some Go. Who did you play Go with? A robot. The wor- I, Like I said, Just the, a robot. the worst. So I thought you said that you had no power. Uh, I played it with uh, on my phone uh, offline. Okay, until your phone died. Uh, my phone actually lived the whole day. So that was nice. nice. What kind of phone do you have? Uh, what is it? The iPhone? What is it? Don't, Ten or eleven or something like that? that? It's one of those things. Don't don't say that. They don't they don't sponsor this. Apple Jam Zone. I've got the e e phone made by Pear. I've got the Cinco. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Cinco B phone. So that was that was kind of a big. Uh, a big thing for me is recently just playing go i one thing that if we did play it though is that like i don't really know the computer automatically like tabulates the score and i feel like it's a little hard to to add up the score especially when the, when you play like two good players because they can just do complex stuff and it's like well what what area do what territory do i actually own i don't even know sometimes um hmm. so it would, it would be it. unless it unless it was like a i i there is a um tabletop simulator uh what is it what do they call it scripted uh, go so i cool. maybe maybe that will like auto that'll be cool include yeah. stuff and if that if that's um, the case then yeah it's perfect but. so some people come for uh video games but i i think i remember us not talking about board games uh the last time we were uh on this podcast uh so your birthday was a couple weeks ago did we talk about we didn't talk about anything uh, really yeah so let's uh, let's start off with some uh, board games. So we played a game called Eclipse, uh, which is, uh, you know, supposed to be a a quicker, a, a tighter, smaller version. It's like Twilight Imperium Mini, right? Yeah, but without like one thing that that it really, and this is how they do it, right? Is they they took away politics. That's Pretty like much, how. Yeah. That's like how the game gets to function in that space. But I do. Yeah. I and do. it has a lot less uh, asymmetry. Like it has asymmetry, but it doesn't have as many like um, choices. It doesn't have as many races, I yeah. guess. Yeah, there's not as well. There's certainly less races than Ti. Ti is getting an expansion, and I think I'm dumb enough to buy it because at one point I'll play a whole Ti game. I was also uh, re- you know instead of playing Twilight Imperium, I am much more excited for Dune Imperium. Oh yeah, that seems cool. Dune Imperium I, is I, a I gotta check more about it. deck building game by the creators of Clank. Uh, but we played Eclipse, 
Uh, it was good. Um, so it's essentially sort of like a territory control game uh, where everyone is playing as a different intergalactic race, and they're trying to uh, dominate the the solar system. It has a lot of universe. The, uh, universe. Just, it's just a well, maybe galaxy. it's a universe. I don't even galaxy. know. Oh, galaxy. Galaxy makes sense. Um, there's so much that I really liked about it. I think my I think my main takeaway that was negative, and it's not really a negative, is that, and, and I, I kind of knew this going into it, but I, I didn't know kind of the, I, the deflation that I might kind of feel, is that uh, Eclipse is very much built around, like, tournament viability and, like, the hyper balance like this is the we were playing the second edition of it which is really fancy it's all it's amazing just production value the production quality and, was very nice and it's got the game trays and everything that that makes it so that like i i just love game straight like it makes it so much cleaner and and kind of just pops out of the box and then pops back out of the box i love all the races have their own um uh like box that they come in that also becomes their like hud their tableau kind of thing i guess not really but like it, it it shows like their resources and everything like that and it's that's like it, that's where the, the the little mini boxes little tackle boxes that your stuff comes in so um very much built around like the it's the second edition after a, a decade or almost a decade of of the first edition of of eclipse and uh it's kind of built with these rules in mind and hyper focused and uh, built with the changes and balanced stuff that had been, ha- had gone throughout over the years. So this is really the kind of game where, like, you're. I don't think you know you come away with your first game being like that's amazing. You more come away with your first game like, okay, I see how this works, and then you you want to play it again, and then have like a bunch of games where you see the different ways you can you can take this the, these rules and like play this game out. Because um, there's a lot that that I yeah. just, I felt like that... well, one thing I thought was interesting was just that uh, the you know we had a group of four uh, and everyone sort of did have a different strategy and at the end of the game the scores were pretty close right yeah they were really uh, close Sean's strategy was surprisingly viable yeah he, uh, he got was, second he, place he was he played a very non-combative game. He just did like all this technology stuff and built up these monuments that uh, like just score you points at the end of the game. Interestingly, Sean was um, a losing battle away from winning. He was he was yes. within four points of range, and a if he had lost a fight, then it would have likely given him enough points. I really like. There's there's so many like individual mini aspects that I I like about it. One of the things I I absolutely love that I, like I don't think any other game does this, and it's probably maybe it's like one of the more core things that make Eclipse Eclipse is that you can um, customize your ships, and I I just love it. Like it actually combat felt really good in Eclipse. Because you're rolling... I, I kind of like throwing a whole bunch of dice out. Yeah. I mean, I like that, but then there's another aspect to, like... Like, so a lot of board games will do this kind of thing where, where like, you get better die. Like, it's like, oh, you start with yeah. the blue die I, I and the like blue I die I felt like I had sucks. a lot of agency over how my ships operated. Yeah. Um, there's all these, like, kind of neat rules. Like, the, the different factions have different basic ships, and there's, like the there's one the the ships have like you know movement attack they have computers which uh add onto the die a die has to be um six uh or over to hit and then they also they can have um shields 
that lower the enemies die when they're attacking and hull to take extra damage. But um, there's this kind of core thing where there's uh, like an amount of battery power to the ship, and you can't and and the different additions to the ship will uh, can't exceed the amount of battery power. So like for the larger ships, it'll have even more slots, more ways to customize it. And if you put on like a big battery pack, you can throw on a bunch of like you know movement options and extra health and uh, better die. Like because the the, the 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 you start out with these like very weak yellow die that only hit on six and they only hit one time and then you can upgrade to like throwing multiple die that hit multiple times and have better results so um you really did i really did feel like when i when i uh even upgraded my ships like once or twice and then i took them to combat and i'm throwing out different die it feels good it feels like you worked for something and uh, like you're getting results, like you planned and put in the effort to make yeah. the ships better, and you get to roll more die and better die, and get better results. So I yeah. really like the ship customization. It was cool. Um, actually, and then the other thing that I'd say is one of the most neat things. There's a bunch of neat things actually. I really like the influence system. So uh, that you start out with these influence discs, and it's like twelve or whatever of these discs, and they're like covering up these slots and you're taking whenever you do and take an action you take one of them off the board and move it to somewhere else and it it uncovers uh increasingly expensive spots and at the end of the round once everyone's passed uh you'll have to pay for how many influence discs you have off of your board and whenever you control an area you also remove an influence disc and like put it on as a marker that you control the area but that is also making your rounds more expensive. So it's this kind it's this really fascinating thing of like spreading yourself too thin. Like you can't control every area because it's gonna make your turns more expensive. And you can't just continually take turns because you might like bankrupt yourself. So it's this really interesting thing of like what territory do you wanna control? How many turns do you wanna make before you bow out? So I really like that. I really like that like, you know, trying to not spend spread yourself too thin but still make some plays that's very neat sure um uh whenever i play these types of games uh i always try to play um the most aggressive civilization a little spicy yeah and i always feel like it's it's powerful because uh other people aren't gonna do it right so i always end up getting the benefits of like well i'm gonna rush to the center i'm gonna mess up other people's uh, ships and you know I'm gonna make it happen yeah. uh, thankful that there's a, always a um, there's always a race that does that <laughs> yeah it, it is kind of like you know it's sad I think maybe like we were playing with two friends of the show and uh, one thing that we struggle in Ameritrash board games is that people really struggle to, like, draw first blood. In a game like Root, it kind of just, it happens. But in a game like Eclipse, like, we managed to end the game without any PvP. Like, we were, there's PvE, I really like that, because uh, you can still kind of fight things, even if you realize that, like, you, you're you not in a position to fight other people. You can still, like, have combat. Um, and if any of the other, like, if, like, a good example is, like, Sean, friend of the show... Uh, if he had fought, he was st- he was like adjacent to a uh, envi- like PVE like an environmentally controlled ship. 
And if he had just fought it, it would have been enough to put him over, probably. Um, but yeah, we like we. I, I, it's kind of weird because in a game like this, it takes a little while to build up, and then I think that people, you know, feel bad about about like, oh, I'm gonna move all my ships in. I'm fighting you now because you're you're yeah. obviously you're doing it from a place of like you planned and you're gonna do it, and then it feels bad for the other player sometimes where it's like, oh, I'm already doing yeah. worse. Like Charlene should have fought me. Like I was. I, I yeah, had, she should have. I, I had no reason to fight anybody. Because yeah. I, I did all the fighting I had to against the, uh, the I kind of like I kind of like that. So you, like, d- different races have different amounts of, like, token storage. So whenever you fight, based off of whatever, um, based off of the, the difficulty or whatever, like, the expense of the enemy ships you killed in combat you draw a certain amount of tokens so you killed like a big um uh dreadnought and you get to pull three tokens or something from the bag um and the tokens range from one to four so you're usually going to pull a lot of ones and stuff like that but uh you you look at them and you put them face down and uh whenever you're getting into combat you only have like a certain amount of kind of tokens you could even store so there's a diminishing return, but it does make it so that getting into combat one time is a is a huge immediate boost. But if you get into combat multiple times, then even if you're the race you were playing that that can store the most tokens, I can think that it can store like five, uh, like combat tokens. Um, you could get to a point where it's like, you know, you can't really do much better than what you've got on your board. So you can have like an entire war that doesn't actually give you points. And then yeah. meanwhile, like it, it actually does help the player who loses sometimes because it, it does. Yeah. So that's why I also was. I'm glad nobody ended up attacking me in the end. Yeah. I would have lost. It helps the player who loses because it in the event that Sean played this super uh, calm, peaceful game, and in the event that he threw two ships at you, like I'm gonna try and kill two of your fighters, and that's it. Like just your weakest units, and that's really basically it. He could have just drawn like two, and two, two or three of the tokens, and maybe put it and put himself over the edge pretty easily. But uh, I saw. So I kind of thought like it was fairly razor balanced. I did the worst, and I spent most of the game kind of like flound. I spent a long time floundering around, and then I had this big, super fun to me at least uh, fight against the like the AI kind of controlled ships that uh, was like came down to the wire of like I'm really gonna lose the whole game if I can't take this point because I'm going to bankrupt myself if I can't take over the space. So I really, really enjoyed it. But it does, But like I said, it does feel like we have to, like you have to play again, again with similar people that are like, you know, they know, I think the game does a really good job with symbology. Uh, you have to play again with similar people that aren't going to, that are like, we know what's going on. I know what's up, what's at stake. I know what these like technology kind of things and the, t- and the symbology yeah. means. But, and but that's kind of board games in general, right? Like the first time in you're a lot playing of cases, it, yeah. the first time you're playing it is to learn the rules. The second time you're playing it is to learn strategies. And the third time you're playing it is to figure out if you like it. Yeah. But certain board games, like certain board games, like sing on that first time. So we True. played, we played pipeline and it took us. It was a mess getting it start, like started and trying to understand it. And it, it's it's ultimately a simple game, but you have to like wrap your head around it. And it's like you have to know. It's like 
it's ultimately simple in action, but you have to know every single thing before you can put it together, if that makes sense. Like, you can't, sure. like, learn one thing. You have to, like, know every rule all at once to be able to actually play. And I, and I remember in the Pipeline was, like, one of the most of that that we played, where in the first game of Pipeline, I feel like there was just multiple moments where people had that, like, aha, like, oh, my God, I'm looking at, like, th- the different things that can happen and how this game is balanced and how you're supposed to actually play this. And it it was mind-blowing. It was, like, actually insane. It was also, like, we played uh, one round and people are, like, struggling with, like, 10 bucks after the, like, like halfway through the game. And then the second game we played was, like, people are going into the next round with, like, like people are just like loaded and are just like buying machines that are automating things and it's like the first time we couldn't even like no one even had money I think you were the only one who was able to buy like one machine and automate all this I just thought it was cool and like certain games you really do play the first time and it like clicks midway and you're like this is awesome and even when it's over it's like I didn't fully understand it from the beginning but when I started to see it, like, I absolutely love that. And I'm looking forward to playing it again, whether or not we play it, like, this second. Like, I would love to play it as soon as possible. And with Eclipse, yeah. like, it, it didn't, like, it, it was very cool and I enjoyed it. But I feel like the, it's designed for, like, you have to understand it. It, it really, it kind of reminds me of, like, StarCraft or something, right? Where I you can't do PvP StarCraft or, like, Go or something where like, the first couple times are, like, actually not going to be enjoyable because you don't know why you would do something. Um, and then the, the like, the multiple times after that is when you you know why you're doing things, and uh, that's why it's, that's what makes it fun is, like, you actually have, like, a purpose for what you're doing rather than just kind of, like, yeah, doing whatever. So we played, we played Eclipse, and then we played Wavelength. I, was, I really wanted to play Imperial, actually. I, I really dig Imperial. Well, we played Wavelength instead. We did. And it uh, it did not disappoint, another sh- though. Another shut-up-and-sit-down game, right? Yeah, it did not disappoint. Another... I'm going to grip it and rip it. Ooh. There we go. So a, another one of those, like, simple, pretty simple party game that, like, packs, packs a, a, a wallet, you know? Yeah, so Wavelength is essentially a, a game where you're working on a team with people and you try to get on the same wavelength, right? So essentially, like, there's this dial, which you could turn to the left or the right, and the the person who's elected, like, like puts sets where the dial's going to be, whether it's more to the left or more to the right secretly, and then gets a prompt, right? Like, good uh, to the left, evil to the right, and then they have to give a clue uh, that will help their team uh, find out where the dial is supposed to be turned to. Yeah. So if I say something like uh, Donald Trump, uh, you have to use my political alignment to figure out uh, that it's cranked all the way to the right. Which is uh, doesn't matter. Large. But, but that. But that's essentially uh, that's essentially the way wavelength works, and it's uh, so simple. Uh, what I I really like that you do. I I really love like both aspects of the game is is fun being the guesser and being the 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 question asker or whatever i yeah. I like that you like i love setting it beforehand and saying okay i'm gonna go uh you know in the middle i'm gonna go in the middle and then i got like uh you know handsome man ugly man and then i was like what, what? okay so i need to get the most middle of the road guy 
And yeah. seeing some of like the guesses or the ways that people would like it's 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 more about like the reactions to like like first the reaction to the guess and people like usually laughing at the guess or even the card originally. And then the, when the team finally sets the dial and then pulling it back, like a, an awesome moment is when you put it in a weird spot. Um, I think and it was, the reveal is fun. The like, reveal, yeah, that's what I, like the, the tactileness of like pulling, like, like pulling the curtain or whatever. Yeah. It, it was it's like, good. there was one time where it was like uh, happy movie, sad movie. And, uh, you know, like I've said, like we said before, uh, you know, you set it beforehand. So, uh, Charlene had said it like slightly on the sad side, but it was like, it wasn't going to be all the way sad. So it was kind of a weird, um, like, like she has to be a kind of sad movie, but not that sad. So she said kindergarten cop. Cause it has all this, like, apparently like sad kind of stuff that goes on and some like upsetting, I don't know, things. I, I haven't watched that movie in for a really long time, but it was a weird it was a weird uh, prompt. It was a weird prompt. Yeah, like clue. Yeah. And weird prompt, weird clue. You guys put it like in this bizarre spot of like just kind of in the middle of of sad and and uh, mid- middling and like nailed it on the. So like when you put when you reveal it and it's just right there, like it's perfectly right aligned with like the four points, the blue part yeah. of the dial. It is, and it is the a reason great we were yeah, and the reason we were able to guess it is Charlene is struggling to come up with a prompt. She chose a really weird mu- movie. Uh, everywhere else on the spectrum would be easy to choose a movie for. This is a weird like this is a weird choice, so it has to be here on the wavelength because anywhere else would have been a simpler clue. Yeah. But it's like it's, it's sort of stuff like that. Yeah, it was just it was just fun. like it's it's not even worth like gamifying it. It's more worth, like the funny. Just, just it, it just had us laughing a lot. So, so that was that was a really. You could cool play game. it with your non-gamer friends. You right? could play it with anybody. It's like the thing, and it, and it's up to twelve people. Um, I I feel like that's. I what actually you want. think the more the better. Yeah, that's what you want. Is definitely the more the better. Um, just because it's it's so funny. Like. Just... Yeah, I'd say it probably starts to shine at like six, but you could probably play it like. Uh, with five or four yeah i think we played yeah we played it at six right yeah yeah because then because then you uh, uh you have the two teams of three and then you have one person prompting and then the two people who are like you know loudly arguing between each other on where they think the the dial is based off the person and their and yeah. their um response to it uh while the person just kind of tries to like sit and not laugh at like their team as their team you know yeah, you could play it without teams and then play it at a smaller number. Yeah. When Alyssa and I were, like, sussing it out together, we just actually played two people. Uh, the The issue is just that we you know nailed it to... every single time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We that just makes sense. always know exactly where to put it for the other person. That's true. And then there's also, like, the fun... I mean, I'm sure you guys are explaining it out loud, like, your thought process, but... The fun of it, I think, is that is like you need there to be six, which is the perfect number, like you said, because then you have to have a debate about with six. You can get two even teams of three and the the it'll have the one question asker and two people guessing. And those mm-hmm. two and like I think some of the most fun of the game is that conversation that those people are having about like, 
the prompt they got, the person who told, who said the prompt, what their opinions are and stuff like that. So I really, that's like where the game really works, I think. So that was a really cool game. Yeah. Um, and that's not the only board game we played recently. As you alluded to earlier, we also played Fort. I think we uh, did. We I, on did I think we did talk later. about this. How did we talk about Fort? You might be thinking of the fact that uh, we were talking about Fort uh, with Josh a little bit uh, after we played it. Mm. So, so let's see. It came out on the 28th. And when was our last podcast? What would be the odds that we talked about Fort but didn't talk about the other games? Oh, dang. I, I have such a non-descriptive podcast uh, description written for last week. Oh, oh did you put up the, the new 29th. one? July 29th is when I posted the last podcast. Okay, I think uh, we put up another one. I don't even know if you put up the, the other one. I didn't tell you that it was up. I think I, 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 think I did. I think I must have. I, th- I think, I think on my, when I'm looking right now, I think OnlyFans is the newest episode, and there was one after that. Oh, no. Yep. Really? Yeah. Man. Having a podcast is hard. It is. How do people do this? Well, they get paid sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Not here. Not, not here. here. This is a this is a not for profit. Non for profit. This is this is a non for profit political podcast. Yes. It would almost Ghost make sense of... that people's uh, the, the the divisiveness of was this a short episode? What what is this one? Interesting. Yeah. This could have been about the, anything. The divisiveness. Well, what did I name it? Ghost of Killjoy 4 Golden. All right. I don't know if we talked about it. Um, I think, yeah, it has a really... It, we played it on Tabletop Simulator. It has really good scripting. Um, nice-looking background. Creator games, creators of uh, Fort... Uh, well, Fort. And, and what, <laughs> Root and Vast. And what was uh, the, the game that they remade? What was, like, it's a remake of... SQPF? Yeah. Yeah, it's got a lot going on for such a small game. It definitely requires one go around, and then I feel like after that, you can. It's like a, it's like initially an hour long game, and I feel like it would go down to like twenty thirty minutes once people know what they're doing and like know the the um, symbology and everything. Yeah, and, and despite like the quick play time, I actually think there's the possibility uh, to make like some cool engines and like some flashy plays even in like a short amount of time uh so i think that's pretty cool yeah that even in like the smaller game you get to do some big actions there's a lot of little things i like about it you know um you basically like you on your turn you have a hand and uh there's different suits in the game and you play a card and usually the card will i mean like here's like a basic basic concept is like you play a shovel card and it says for every shovel you play get you know like there's two major resources toys and pizza and um it'll be like for every shovel card you play yeah you get a toy so, I, so you can so you can also put i multiple. guess yeah we, we should say that ford is a game about building a fort with your friends as a kid yeah great art and and your friends great. need toys and pizza to be motivated to, uh, to build the fort with you yeah so so you'll play a card it'll be a suit um, usually there's a, uh, reason to play additional cards on top of it and whatever you kind of don't play, uh, uh, gets put out for the rest of the players to choose from. Cause it's like, uh, when you play a card, the whole table also gets to take one of the actions on the card. 
the top action is like this public action. Yeah. So they get to so it's it does that thing where on everyone else's turns you're you're having a little bit of fun because you get to do an active thing. Like someone plays a card and you can get a benefit from it if you have one of that suit and that's really fun cuz it makes it so that like you go and I'm paying attention and then like I get something good from it and maybe it changes my turn. Maybe all of a sudden I'm like this is this is positive. I can change what I was going to play and I was happy that Mason played that card. So you can kind of get those things happening from it. And whatever you end up not playing at the end of your turn goes into this yard. Uh, and at the end of a player's turn, they basically like pick from the yards of the other players. So it's really interesting, this like trying to keep certain cards alive, sometimes making a slightly worse play to keep one of your like important engine cards yeah so sometimes alive. you invite a you invite a friend over even though you don't really want him there right yeah maybe so his I'm, uh dad always buys you guys mcdonald's or you got to bring him along for the ride right yeah or and, and you know we're ruining someone else's engine so there's a lot of cool different things to do i feel like uh it's a really neat game there's a lot of individually neat aspects to that game and i could just imagine like it feels like the kind of game that you just sit there and you play like three rounds in a row or something like you play a couple you play like a couple hours multiple rounds of it and see how it goes it's like a, like it's almost like a poker kind of thing sitting around the table smoking a cigar yeah. and the art is great like it's 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 worth just even like looking at it you know yeah you gotta love kyle Farron. gotta anything else uh, yeah so we played that um those are the board games of the week those are the board games i've been playing some video games i don't know about you oh my god have you heard about this game, uh, Fall Guys? Uh, uh, I have. I, I kind up. of wanted to watch. Like this game is explosive, dude. It's blowing up. Everyone's talking about it. So and it's like a game I'll, show. Like I want to be the first one to tell you, it's really fun. I yeah. I, I'm gonna. I feel like I, I'm gonna eventually just buy this game. So it's on PlayStation Plus. So if you have that, uh, it's free. It's it's gonna have. Um, what do you call it? Crossplay soon. So what this is is it is a battle royale. Uh, that takes place over five rounds, where essentially uh, you're playing a sort of mini game, and a lot of the times the mini game will be a race. So an example is uh, there are 60 players, and they're all running towards this series of doors, but some of the doors are fake, and it has the physics of like gang beasts. Yeah. So you'll just see people like running and slamming themselves against these doors, and they're not getting through. Cause they're like fake doors. So then you see like one of the doors opens and there's just like 60 people trying to like funnel through this like narrow area and people are getting like trampled and you can like grab other people. And it's just like, it's, it's just kind of like dumb fun. Like it is straight up dumb fun. Uh, there's a, a about, I think there's 25 games right now, which I will say my one criticism of the game is I, I think they just need more. Yeah. They just need to start like community sourcing. They need like some sort of resource where people are just like churning these out because like, if you're seeing like the same, like if you sit down and play like five, uh, you know, series or whatever, and you're seeing some maps like two or three times, it, it's still fun. But yeah. I, I think there's some novelty in the originality of some of the games but it's also like a battle like a, it just seems like it's like a weird game show it reminds me of like yeah. of like what um it's not like wipe out or whatever what's the one where it's like 
like just like those like goofy Catch games. What? So yeah, you know, I mean, kind of like that. Yeah, they they had like a they they there is uh there's that show. There's another one where it's like on a lake and there's all these like things trying to knock people off into the lake. It's one of those like weird obstacle course games. It, from whenever whenever I've seen it, it's just like just like you said, loads of people running and then just bizarre obstacles. Yeah, there's one of them that's just like uh, fruit, just like you're trying to run up this giant like uh, ramp, and all of this fruit is just like tumbling down and knocking into people, and then you just like go barreling backwards. What's the price on that? Twenty bucks. That's a good price. That's a pretty good price for like whatever you know. Like even even if you have an hour or two of fun with it, like you know, I think that's... the battle pass is free. That's quite worth it. The battle pass is free. That doesn't make any sense. The battle pass is free. I mean, it's a twenty dollars game. Maybe it's the first battle pass is free. Okay. Who knows? Uh, then it's right like... now, there are people complaining about the servers. Uh, the game is more popular than they anticipated, uh, so they're running into some server issues. And there's actually a notice on the Steam page that essentially says, "Like, uh, we didn't think this would be that popular. We're working to increase server capacity. Please be patient." Yeah. Uh, I'm digging it. It's fun. I, I plan to play more of it because, and it also seems like the kind of game that, uh, and you could team up in it. You're you're gonna still be versing your friends, but it's cool that you could kind of just like hop into it, shoot the shit, you know, whatever. Anything else? I know there's something else. I finished Persona Four. Oh yeah. I finished Persona Four Golden. Uh, it turns out there was a twist ending, and after the twist ending, there was another twist yeah, ending. Yeah, that's the big one. Imagine that. I know, uh, well, and you can understand without spoiling it that, like, I I think that that like initial kind of revelation. So I want to talk exactly about it. So what happened was, I beat the game. I got to the end, uh, and I was like, "Great, this is cool. I'm gonna start the game over again." And then uh, I started the game, and uh, essentially, like, you get to like this gas station at the start of the game. And I was like, there are some, there's some things here that seem awkward uh, at the start of the game. It's like, this is a very awkward start, and it's making me question uh, the end of the game. So I went back to my old save and realized that uh, there was a narrative social link that I didn't complete. And I was like, okay, why, like, essentially, like, at some point you get a social link um, with the bad guy. And that social link levels up as you go through the narrative. And I got it to tier 9 out of 10. So when I reloaded my save, I was like, okay, something here isn't right because this should be a 10 somehow. There's something I'm missing. So I, I fumbled around for a while until the I unlocked an entire new dungeon. And then I had to play six more hours. And I was like, you know, I, I was ready to be done. but Wait, but why did you start a new game? Yeah you were ready to be done you were like oh, i'm gonna start a new game but i don't want to play it well i don't know i just wanted to see the start again you know what i mean yeah i guess i've never done that unless i was like really like i don't know unless it's like a game that does warrant another like an immediate playthrough because it's like new game plus it is right i mean it, it is like that uh you carry over your compendium so you carry over your entire summonable list of uh, creatures, which is really cool because it actually lets you level up your uh, social link. There's a social link that's like tied to uh, summoning certain personas, right? 
So you could level that up really, really fast. Uh, so I, I also talked to you about this, but I thought about uh, get playing Persona 5 Royal. Yeah, uh, I've already played through Persona 4. Uh, my holdup is that I played through Persona 4 to its entirety, and there's a new game plus for Persona 4 that essentially allows you to carry over your social stats. Uh, social stats are one of the metrics in the game where essentially you can spend time to rank up like your courage and your charm and all of these things, right? Like, so y'all read a book about like being handsome, and your character will get more handsome, and then just like uh, in real life. You can, you can, the the pretty girls will talk to you or whatever. Uh, in the new game plus, uh, you start out with all of your social links wherever they were at the end of your last playthrough. Um, as someone who beat Persona Five, it would be nice to get to start Persona Five Royal with a new game plus. That is not the case. Uh, so that is kind of like my one hangup. Uh, I'll probably. I'm sure. I, I guarantee a hundred and ten percent. I will play Royal in the near future. Uh, I just haven't gotten around to it yet. I sure wish that they would just uh, release it on the Switch. I, I still find it bizarre that uh, Joker is is in Super Smash Brothers, but that Persona Five is not on the Switch. That's weird to me. Yeah, that is kind of weird. So the I feel like that was, that's a that, big game, though. Yeah, yeah, it is. The, the... It is. But I don't know. It, it ran on. Don't you remember that when it came out? It also came out on like PS3 or something. There was a PS4 version and a PS3 version. Is that true? Yeah, you might be right. Because they originally announced Persona 5 for PS3, and then they just delayed it forever. Um, but but essentially, what happened was uh, th- their sort of excuse for putting Joker in uh, Super Smash was that uh, Persona 5 Scramble uh, was available on the Switch, which is a Dynasty Warriors game with Persona characters, which did not come out in the West, but is now getting a release in the West, and it's going to be called Persona 5 Strikers. And that could be kind of cool. Uh, The one thing that's cool about that game existing is that there's another opening to watch, and uh, I love those Persona openings. I don't know if you've seen the Royal one. The Royal one is pretty good. The Royal one's pretty good. Uh, I like the Dancing All Night one. The dancing all night ones are definitely good. Man, the music and it is made so me question, good. The like, music is so good. Yeah, it is. Uh, so still heavily considering checking out Royal at some point. Uh, but my current RPG is a game called uh, Troubleshooter. Uh, and this is a game no one's heard of. So I found this game by looking into a review thread for Fae Tactics, which is a sort of a strategy RPG game. Uh, that just released on Steam that has some similarities to uh, Final Fantasy Tactics and those types of games under the breach, you know, the sort of like uh, grid-based combat. So someone was just like, uh, you know, Fate Tactics seems like it's going to be popular, but I wish people knew about this game Troubleshooter. And I looked into it and I was like, holy shit, this game looks like it's for me. Uh, So it is a, if I distilled it and made it as as easy to understand as possible, I would say that it's XCOM anime style. Yeah. Where people have um, abilities like Swordmaster and Elementalist, and your Elementalist gets to choose, like, I'm an Earth Elemancer or I'm a, you know, Lightning Elemancer, things like that. Um, and and it's actually got sort of... First off, I, I like the art style. It's pretty good. 
but it, it also has like this sort of weird my hero academia vibes to it uh where essentially you're starting up a hero agency and then like you're sort of monitoring different areas of the city to see like where crime is popping up and uh once like and then like you could sort of be like contracted to like protect certain areas of the city and they'll give you like uh like mo like a monthly salary essentially which you're also using to like for your rental space for your warehouse space where you're like paying your different employees who are like your the characters who you're employing um and it, it's it's got some really cool ideas in it and one of my favorite ideas is the mastery system so these are essentially uh, your passives where it's like, uh, you know, for three mastery points, I can slot in the counter attack where every time I get hit, I hit back. Um, but one of the things that I think is like super fascinating about it is that there are secret mastery sets where essentially um, if you equip a bunch of uh, synergistic masteries at the same time, you'll get like a prompt that's like, there's a secret mastery that you're about to unlock. And all that you have to do is find the one missing mastery and it'll give you a clue as to what it is. And once you solve it, you unlock like this really powerful set mastery um, that, that essentially like could change the way that your character works entirely. But, but it's so cool because you're getting these masteries by killing enemies uh, and, and killing them in like specific ways will net you like different opportunities to unlock new masteries or you'll kill a boss and you'll unlock like his signature mastery uh and then you're finding these mastery sets oh in total there's over 650 of these passives uh that you're sort of like mixing together to create like your ideal characters and i think that that's like a, a really cool approach to to the sort of um character building right because it has like those elements of like blue mage and also these elements of like, I'm going to try to make kills in interesting ways so that I could do something else. And, and one thing that I also find really fascinating is the way that they like dole out XP and some of the uh, XPs are related to masteries. Like uh, if you have like a low level character, you could put a mastery on them to where if a higher level character kills someone, they get 50% of the XP. And they also do this thing where uh, if you overkill an enemy, like if you deal like 30% more damage than their health or you kill multiple enemies at once, you get like these XP boosts. So you could actually be having the setup where uh, you have this like one God character who's like helping all of your little characters like farm up, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're getting those XP boosts and you're using those XP masteries and you're just kind of combining this together. Why do you uh, feel like this game has like, you know, is underground or hasn't succeeded? Uh, because it is made by an independent Korean developer, uh, and this is their only game. Yeah, it's right? mad Korean looking. I looked at it, and it's got that Manwa style. Yeah, and honestly, I th I think that's it. Like, if you look at like the review scores on Steam, it's ninety three percent positive. So like, it's pretty good. I, I there are some reasons why I could see people being turned off. Uh, I haven't run into any like um, I, I wouldn't say that it's like anime in an obnoxious way. Like, I, I think that the characters are well-written enough. There's there is no, like, weird, like, Sundari stuff. I haven't seen any Beach episodes, uh, so nothing like that. The English translation is uh, not great. Yeah. It, it's never detrimental. It, it's not detrimental. Like, you're going to understand, like, how to do everything in the game, but it's uh, awkward. That's sad. 
That's sad. Like, like translation is such a sad way for a game. I don't think that's why they're. I don't think that that's going to prevent them from getting sales. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been out for a little while, right? It came out in like uh, April or something like that. April. Yeah. yeah. So. And they've been updating it every single week. It's and not they're a spring also considering, chicken. They're also considering this to be uh, the first season. But also that could be an awkward translation. The actual game description is Troubleshooter Abandoned Children is the first season of a turn-based strategy SRPG that takes place in the world of Troubleshooter. The world of Troubleshooter. <laughs> you got to build uh, the world play, first, guys. The gameplay is solid. Like There are so many cool systems, and I like that it doesn't feel as uh, like serious as XCOM. I have some real problems with the way that XCOM works. Uh, so my biggest issue with XCOM is it, it has the fire emblem problem of, uh, permadeath plus critical hits. Yeah. So that's a problem. But the other problem is, uh, massive fog of war, right? Well, fire, fire emblem has moved away from that. Yeah. Thankfully, but XCOM hasn't. So XCOM has this problem where it's like, there's this massive fog of war and, uh, you could walk into something and then get surrounded and then... Uh, your best unit could die, and then you're going to save scum, or you're going to Iron Man mode. And and the other issue that I have with XCOM is that you can lose your campaign. Like, you can actually fail the campaign in XCOM and have to start over. And it's like, I guess there are people who want to play like that. Uh, I am not one of those people, and the reason why I'm not one of those people is because I play a lot of video games. Yeah. A lot of different video games. And I don't have time to make XCOM like my hobby. I, I wonder so, uh, when when games do that. I mean, I obviously the way that you're describing it is like they uh, balanced on the the wrong side. But I wonder how often like that is a positive. Like like we we always talk about like Dark Souls and difficulty, and those are tuned to be like frustrating. But you're never like losing tons of progress. Like you're losing like usually like imagined progress or like experience progress they, they can be they can be kind of given up like you can you can uh you know turn the game off in frustration or throw the controller or whatever and then go away and then come back being like well i really didn't lose that much so like now i'm ready to continue but for games that have like these huge uh penalties it kind of just seems like like how often are people just like obviously save save scumming, which means that they're not actually dealing with that act the penalty. Like there's so many. I would imagine most gamers aren't like that. Like yeah, every everyone I've ever talked to he, it, no, with the fire emblem thing is like, oh yeah, I would always just turn my game off until I did it yeah. until I did it perfectly. And, and it's there like, are definitely people who do like it. And you know what I actually think is like, like I, I think that there's an audience for people to watch it, especially right. Like, if there are content creators, I think Giant Bomb even has, like, a series on XCOM. But, like, the idea of watching a uh, watching somebody else's progress, that's fun. Yeah. Like, seeing somebody else, like, try to fight their way out of it or, or you know, try to, like, contend with that system. Knowing that, like, if they die, they're going to start yeah, over again. There's things I that's, like about that's it. That's fun to watch. I, I, uh, conceptually, I, I, I like that, like, forming a bond and with it, a character and, it's, it's and this narrative. Yeah. But also, a lot of these single-player games, I'm playing them as single-player games, right? Like, I'm not uh, sharing the stories with my friends or, or things like that. I, I guess that I, I've I've played RimWorld that way, right? Where it's like uh, people will die and they're dead. And then, you know, the game goes on. 
but but that's part of the game because that's like a story game in a way it's you know I, I can see why some people get into it that kind of thing isn't for me one of the things that i like about troubleshooter is uh the lower stakes though and it's it's more about like grinding out strong characters and playing with the systems like crafting better items uh meeting new characters even like i am not even very far into the game i'm seven and a half hours into the game and i currently only have two characters uh in my in my employ i think i'm very close to unlocking like my third character in my employ but they introduce you to so many characters and it becomes like really clear that like there is actually like a massive cast and this is like you know you could spend hundreds of hours on this game yeah i still kind of want to check it out maybe i'll even download it today because i don't i remember it's not like a full price so it's not it's not crazy to just give it a shot it's uh, on sale right now for eighteen seventy five. That's a good. That's uh, a good price. I I feel like um, you will be impressed uh, with the ambition of this game. It's extremely ambitious. Yeah, I'll give it. I'll I'll definitely download it. I'll give it a try. I've been looking also, for something. Like, yeah. Kind I mean, of. You, but... They also like. So I'll say it again. Troubleshooter, abandoned children. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you should check it out uh, because I think that they deserve your money <laughs> like for like i'll just put that out there they deserve your money i didn't even know if i was gonna play it but i was like this game uh i have to know yeah so definitely recommend it you played a similar game recently right um i downloaded other side which is like it's also like an xcomi thing and i just i c- could not get out of tutorial i did not like it and it like the 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 uh art style that kind of drew me to it from images and like when i actually was playing it it just i don't know it kind of turned me off a little bit and i wasn't like i didn't go anywhere with it it's not i can't really make a fair assumption or like uh i i don't have um it's not fair to really criticize it but i just didn't i didn't even like it outside the tutorial so i just i i cut it off real quick yeah, i've been it's, playing it's... sekiro I mean, um, not Sekiro. I would do want to download Sekiro, but I'm playing. I hope that Ghost other side doesn't. 60 I hope that other side doesn't do better than Troubleshooter. Uh, just that's a mean. It's a cruel thing to yeah. say. Uh, but Troubleshooter deserves more popularity. Yeah, there was like, I, it was like in the tutorial. There was a lot of things where it was like, it just felt weird and wonky. Like I was trying to like, like certain things you like just clicked the the menus and then clicked the enemy for, but some things you had to like hit keys and then stuff like that like i don't know i just i was immediately like this is a a little bit fiddly for like how basic it's starting out and like the music and everything was like i actually don't like this as much in motion as i thought but yeah like i said Uh, so how's ghost of tsushima treating you i'm loving it I'm loving it. That's I actually, I, I, uh, I was listening to Giant Bomb because that's I had already had the episode downloaded, so it was kind of like, I, w- I was just when when I had when I lost power, what I was doing was um, going back and forth into like different rooms. When you just like you're just losing your mind, you're just going back and forth into different rooms. Like, is there something going on in this room? No, there's nothing. And like, is there power? Is in there power in this room? room? No, there's no power here. So I was I was listening to Giant Bomb, and uh uh jeff gershman is playing it and i i kind of liked his his take on it it did kind of like 
slightly hurt my overall thoughts because I had these thoughts floating around, but he, I don't know, it's one of those, like, review, like, he's obviously a talented critic, and he kind of put together some of my thoughts in, in a way that it was like, now that I'm seeing that kind of, like, actualized or solidified, um, and I agree with all that, that it, like, kind of hurts a little bit, to, like, or it hurts my enjoyment of the game a little bit, um, I I still think that like I am playing it exactly for exactly the reason that I've I've told other people and that is just like I am I am constantly impressed by how gorgeous this game is artistically and technically it is it meets artistic and technical uh like uh quality in at at such a it is, insane... it is one of those games right it is a uh it's naughty dog triple a playstation exclusive yeah i mean it's it like the kind of game that like you mostly get on consoles right where it's like this big uh cinematic experience and you get some of these uh cross-platform right like a far cry or something but this is sort of like a this is like a pure console game yeah, you're not wrong like i i agree with that but then there's a lot of like big console games that can still like look good but they're not as like this game kind of does this this thing that I, it, the only games that i've really played that give me a similar feeling are games by that game company um so they did flower and journey um and a lot of the you know environments they craft are something where you really just like it almost just makes you stop to look at like this environment is so creative and interesting and the way the light is bouncing off of the sand dunes or or stop like just the individual like like wind picking up sand and like all these like kind of elements of it all combine at once to make this like it, it's like being in a painting it's like it's it's amazing it's like every time you move the camera is a new like beautiful piece of art kind of and that's kind of why i'm like I, I feel like that's the main thing drawing me forward is like the combat is serviceable um the story is serviceable and uh i'm constantly like doing all these upgrades and everything is very short like the missions are and the overworld kind of uh activities are all really short so it's all very digestible like there's no reason if you see you know one of these quick things of like oh there's a, a haiku all i need to do is sit down and write a haiku here like that's it'll take 10 seconds i just i'll go do it and so like you're just you keep consuming these different active activities but the main thing kind of drawing it together keeping me wanting to play it is just that like every time i go to a new area like it's it's like gorgeous and it's not in a and it's not even in a different wildly different or unrealistic way it's just that they, they manage to do so much with uh lighting time of day weather and all this kind of stuff that just it looks so amazing but um one of the things that like as i'm playing it that is that is definitely like coming to my mind more and jeff was talking about this was that uh i feel like you're you're getting a lot of these like upgrade points and it's one of those point salady kind of games where not in the board game sense but in like everything you're doing is giving you um you know like technique points that you can add to uh all these different things there's two talent trees ones for like deflection and ones for um evasion and um you can also uh there's four stances in the game and the stances are kind of basic like they 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 only exist in so far as they change like you have you have a, a light attack on square and you have a heavy attack on triangle um, and in the stances, the heavy attack changes to do something different 
and uh, the stances are suited to different enemy types. So there's shield enemies, and they block your attacks and parry a lot. So if you go into sure. water, I forget what it is. You go into one of the stances, I think it might be water, and um, you uh, your attacks like break shields. So you literally are only changing the stances like ever because uh, you know a pole arm enemy comes at you or a big enemy comes at you or a shield enemy comes at you and then you change the stance out but otherwise like you're not you know flowing the stances in like a neo way or anything like that like you're not like the game isn't like um, uh, doesn't have like that well thought out combat that you're like that you're incentivized to flow the stances and in fact like on normal difficulty it's so easy that like I would almost rather just parry and kill someone rather than switch to a stance and like use that stance to break them. So that's like, yeah, that's a complaint. And like all of the um, kind of upgrades they're getting are very, they're, they're the same kind of upgrade. It's kind of weird. So you can upgrade all the stances three times. Um, and the upgrades are like kind of the same across the board. It's stuff where it's like, like the first one, the first of all the stances says like, oh, it like staggers more or something. And the second one will be like attacks quicker in the stance. So there's a real like outside of like the complete gorgeousness, like the there's kind of this like, I don't know, just like bankruptcy to how they the, like the systems. Almost. Yeah, like I, the, I've heard that the, uh, the, the skill tree is you're going to unlock the whole skill tree before you finish like half the game. Yeah. If you're doing side content. Yeah. I'm doing a lot of side content, but it's also like a good skill tree is about looking forward and saying, Oh my God, I'm saving up for this thing. I'm going to unlock this skill point and it's going to change the way I'm playing the game. And a lot of the skills so far are actually designed around like simplifying something, which is weird. It's not a good idea. It's like actually like, a generically bad idea from a game designer to do this. So, like I said, there's different types of enemies, and pole enemies uh, have these unblockable attacks. And in the beginning of the game, it's like, okay, here's a shield enemy, I'm going to switch to my stance. Here's a pole enemy, I have to wait for them to attack, I have to dodge it because I can't block it, and then I'll attack them. But... Uh, like on the trees, there's stuff where it's like, well, do you not have to interact with that anymore? Because uh, you can, because now if you unlock this one point, you can now parry the pole enemies. So it's like, okay, by doing that, I made it so that like, I used to be able to parry sword guys and kill them, and I had to evade, I had to dodge pole guys and attack them. But now I just parry everyone because you you like you made it so that like I don't actually need to change my strategy anymore it's weird like as the, the game has gotten like more simplistic as i've played it because in the beginning you really are playing around these enemy types and then you get all these upgrades on the talent tree that is just like well now you can treat that other enemy that you used to have to treat in a unique way like you treat everyone else by waiting for them to attack and then you parry it so like i've gotten to a point where i'm just like I just kind of just stand in the middle and I wait for one person to parry or one person to yeah. attack. I parry them, kill them. Then I'm standing in the middle and like it, it, it looks visually nice, even the combat. And it's kind of like a neat power fantasy thing. And I'm liking the cosmetics and the world and even how the combat looks, but it definitely is weird. It definitely is weird. Like, I don't know. Like uh, I, I keep, it, it's kind of like a video game McDonald's. Like, I keep wanting to turn it on just to like 
play a little bit and be in that world and I kind of like the dialogue and every um every story mission does a pretty good job of having one little gimmick. I could imagine it, like when I was like a kid I I always liked uh uh different like open world games uh like GTAs or whatever and you'd remember back onto some missions and like oh I remember this was the mission that you do the whole thing from a range with a sniper or something like that, or this is a mission you rob a bank and that's awesome because it's the only mission that you do that. And and uh, I think it does a really good job of actually making the mission structure really cool. Like every mission does have a kind of unique slant or setup to it, and I I really like that. And I don't know, like I I have my complaints with it, uh, and they're well founded. I kind of wish that they were that they would have like a post launch patch to add like new unlockable things or talent trees and kind of balance that out to make them more exciting and fun rather than just like attacks a little bit faster or you now you don't have to do that. I don't know. Like I feel like I feel like this game is like on the precipice of this game is like on the precipice of uh it going forward, Sucker Punch being able to announce announce in like eight years, like, and we're working on Ghost of Tsushima two, and for people to go wild and be like, oh my god, I loved that game, I couldn't put it down, because like even with all my complaints, I just like they're they're doing so much so right, and the things that they aren't doing right aren't catching up to me yet, so I feel like if they did a good job of adding more diversity to combat i know they are actually i know that they are adding a new patch to add a new difficulty to make it because they're they heard these some of these complaints so the new difficulty would be this like one shot one kill kind of difficulty where it would still i guess be a similar gameplay but it would be like you know more intense because you have to parry everything right uh, and you like, and I think they're also like lowering the overall parry window down to make it yeah. so that it's even more difficult um, for even the other modes. So they are kind of doing some post patch uh, treatment, but it feels like I wish they would add a little bit more. Or this is the kind of game that would benefit from like uh, we made a DLC in the first month, and it's like it adds minimal narrative content, but it adds big new unlockable stuff, like new, yeah. and like that's the kind of thing that would be like. Then if they did that, then I could just wholeheartedly be like, oh, the game is beautiful. And now that the combat is more diverse and you have more things to do and you're more interested in during the combat that like I could not recommend this to people. But now at this point, it's like, you know, if you're looking, I like I said before, I mean, if you if you go and watch a review or a trailer and you just see how gorgeous it looks and you're like, I absolutely have to see more of that. I just love the way that it looks and in motion then like yeah you'll get you'll actually will get your money's worth you'll you'll really enjoy it as long as you know that it's like a fairly simplistic in all other in all other ways it's just kind of a by the books open world like assassin's creedy kind of like doing the the open world activities and going to story missions but so i'm but i'm enjoying it overall they did uh spider-man right yeah they did that i i they did um that's like their infamous was their was their, yeah. I feel like, was their big thing. That was their, it's like... Their, it's their break, breakout piece, but I feel like Spider-Man is their, like, beloved treasure. That's it. I mean, what else have they done? Did they do, like, Sly Cooper? I gotta... I gotta look this up. They did. Um, they did uh, Rocket, Robot on Wheels for N64. 
Then they did okay. the, the Sly Cooper games throughout the entire PlayStation. That's sad, you know? They did Sly Cooper, Thievius Raccoonus, Sly Cooper 2, Sly Cooper 3 uh, throughout Split PlayStation 2. Then for then for PlayStation 3, they did Infamous, Infamous 2, and Infamous Festival of Blood. So, like, these guys... Just, they're, they're, blood. And then for PlayStation 4, they apparently released Infamous Second Son and Infamous First Light. I didn't even know these games existed. There's... There's six, there's five infamous games? Five? Wow. So these, yeah, this studio gets caught on something. So don't even be surprised when Sucker Punch announces Ghost of Tsushima 2, but... Uh... So currently, there's a, a Valorant tournament going on. And it, it's a weird one, because it's it's uh, the FaZe Invitational. FaZe uh, clan just announced their Valorant team. And, and it's been a weird, obnoxious tournament to watch, because... Uh, they're showing all of the there's a lot of games going on at once and some of them like people really wanted to watch right like people really wanted to watch tsm versus c9 but there if a phase game is happening the stream shows you the phase game right that's the because you know the price you gotta pay that is the it's that's a fifty thousand dollars tournament troll that phase is putting up. and phase is not they're fine but like there's a copy pasta right now that's in the uh twitch chat that is Phase is a good team. Just need to work on communication, aim, map awareness, crosshair placement, economy management, pistol aim, op flicks, grenade spots, smoke spots, pop flashes, positioning, bomb plant positions, retake ability, bunny hopping, spray control, and getting a kill. Yeah. So it's a, it's 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 a weird tournament to watch. Uh, the new character, uh, Killjoy, just released with Act Two, is disabled. That's uh. Bad I understand. Choice. Honestly, bad choice. I understand, I understand yeah, why, but I, but I think it's a bad choice. Yeah, me too. Uh, Valorant esports has been pretty exciting so far. Uh, the spectating mode keeps getting better. I, I feel like uh, I was watching a collegiate tournament a couple of days ago, and the spectator was doing such a good job following the action, and and I feel like there's like something wrong with the people who do the spectating for these major tournaments because they're always missing the action. Yeah. And it's always like, like it'll be a thing where like they, they show a, like Raze is ulting. So they capture Raze casting her ultimate and then they like switch across the board and is like, what's happening on the other side. It's like, show me the Raze. Yeah. Let's see what she's just about to like run like, and either make a kill or die. Like, yeah. And it's crazy. Like how bad the, the spectator, the camera people are, uh, but the tournament's been cool. Uh, there's so many games, uh, so that's exciting. I'm looking forward to it this weekend. I've been, I've been. Uh, whenever there's like a Valorant tournament going on, I'll usually like uh, draw a bath and watch watch like a game in the bath with like a beer, and that's kind of been my like uh, a nice little weekend ritual that I've had. Yeah, I'm excited to um, have an esport that I really want to watch again. That like get, gets my my heart racing when I'm watching it. Um, I can't wait to see uh, more like bigger tournaments and the game to be out of its infancy. It's been fun watching it, but it feels like a lot of times that we're watching pros, they're not all that different than us. It feels like that like pros are kind of playing solo queue. What's interesting is that if you watch some of the teams who are lower ranked, who are less known, they're pulling out more interesting strategies. And they're doing cooler rollouts. They're using abilities. They're like people who like, you know, they studied the lineups 
uh, for Sova Arrows. They have like these crazy Viper plays. But at the end of the day, they're getting outshot by former CS pros, right? So yeah. that that does like kind of align with Riot's philosophy of like this is a shooter first. But the best teams are gonna eventually be the teams who do both. Right? Yeah, I, I mean we're in a weird spot because we've talked about this before, but we, I think that one of the things that has been most detrimental, weirdly enough, and this is it doesn't really hurt Valorant overall, but it is slowing Valorant's progress down. Is that uh and and kind of hurting the the the, some of the the community's thoughts is that people really did go over like this is csgo or cs 1.6 and treat it as such without looking at it as its own entity and then every time that people more look at valorant as its own entity they they have success and what i mean is simply stuff like sova picking a uh heavy gun like a uh, light machine gun and uh, wall banging a certain spot. And, uh, you know, like CS doesn't really have those kind of things. Like CS is really yeah. just about that, the ARs versus the ops kind of. And those are kind of the main guns that people are on. And there's kind of more fringe with with like the cheaper ARs and stuff like that. But you don't, you know, it, the game doesn't get too far outside of that. And Valorant is really more around... The characters, the choices, the maps are smaller. The um, the the guns being pretty well balanced at their price points, kind of uh, making force buying or uh, buying at different levels a little bit more valuable than it would be in CS. Um, so it really does feel like we're in this weird spot where all the CS pros are the ones who are doing well because they have the history of CS aim, but they don't think yeah. outside the box and they they're playing in like actually dumb ways and the real like this game will will start to get out of its infancy in like a year when you have people who are like i grew up on valorant like i i didn't play cs yeah. i started playing at valorant when it launched and i got to the point where i'm really good now and the cs pros are the ones who are like still like cs and they're not able to like they're just well, the aim CS all aim no be, brain old to play at yeah. that point. Uh, I do want to let you know that right now, phase is... 12, uh, tw- 0 and 12 against Sentinels. Yeah. So, there's that. Uh, so, yeah, but the competitive scene's been cool. Uh, I agree with your idea that game needs to grow up. People need to sort of learn this game instead of... And it's crazy, right? Because we, we see more interesting plays in solo queue from individual players than we do from like these sort of teams yeah it's pretty weird that you have you have uh popular streamers or solo queue gods that know these bizarre things that know these setups i've oh there's this there's this one sova guy who's always making it to reddit that knows how that, like journalist. yeah that that no he so yeah definitely him who does these like double shock arrows and just gets like multi kills at the start of a round and you can't really say that we're like like when you see these kind of things, when you see the insane setups and lineups to these kind of that the, the, the solo queue players have, and then you watch um, pro players and they don't have any of that, it kind of just like well, ultimately we're ha- we have to get to a point where people are aiming perfectly and doing these kind of things, uh, and they're also highly coordinated. But no one is showing all of that at once. Like you have the aim people 
but they're rarely it's not like their coordination is there it's not like they're doing all these like highly technical setups or anything like that they're usually just aim people and then you have uh people who are good at aiming in solo queue but know these like more complex strategies and it really is just a problem of like the people who had the head start at aiming are the cs players and they're not really learning this game like it's valorant they're like oh it's easy cs go you can instead of a smoke lineup like you have to learn it and practice in cs go you just ping on the map where you want to smoke like brimstone so you don't have to learn anything that's fine but it, it kind of like betrays the real kind of strategies that are supposed to be coming out um and i feel like uh brain brainy plays are succeeding a little bit more in CS, in uh, Valorant than they did in CSGO, which was a lot more about aim. Yeah, which is probably the only reason why I'm, like, placing in gold, because playing the new deathmatch mode has revealed to me that, like, I'm not gonna outshoot a lot of people. Like, I'm not gonna win all of my aims. I mean, you you, but... you get it. You, you're just having an off day or two, because you, ha- you have a lot of times where you are... Maybe, it, maybe deathmatch... Do you think the deathmatch is bringing you down? But what I do know is that I outsmart people often yeah i mean we we won um two games of competitive in a row and i think every i think like score wise uh the other team was like just beating us raw on kd stats but we were winning the games just like like based on knowledge in a lot of cases based on like outplaying the map based on uh really good communication we got lucky with two teams that were not negative that were um uh properly communicating that we're kind of making call outs and stuff and you were adding to it with good uh like cipher management of our flanks and it was leading to like awesome results despite the fact that like the it wasn't like we had uh you know like a 30 bomb dropping yeah kill but it's God. also knowing about, like, uh you know there was like a player on the other team who was like opping and uh on rounds where you know, we'd figure out where the operator is. Like, we we took smokes and they didn't. So we were able to, like, smoke out their operator. We we played around their economy efficiently. And, like, that's the sort of transferable skills from, like, uh, Counter-Strike, like, playing around economy. That is something that we see uh, pro players doing. It really is just, like, the Valorant-specific stuff of, like, uh, like, clever sage walls, like, using your slow orb alongside raises grenade and things like that that uh you know the professional players kind of have to work on more yeah i feel like economy is also weird though it's like a sticking point to me as well because i i really like you get a lot for winning a game so it is worth it for a team that believes in themselves and if you're a pro team you do believe in yourself to buy full buy like a bulldog or something like where it's not ideal, but uh, it it makes it puts you in a it puts you in a spot. It, like it, it, you like you can you can still outplay. You can still win games. You can still win thrifty games in Valorant for sure. So, what do you think of the new skin set? So uh, I I, I mostly like it. Valorant season two, uh, you know, released with a character Killjoy. That's actually uh, what I want to talk about a little bit too. An engineer character who like has turrets has like a. The strongest, it's a remote detonated, like, um, molly. So it's a, it's like a remote fire on the ground ability that deals like a massive amount of damage. Uh, and probably the most interesting, uh, ultimate in the game, second maybe only to Viper Pit, 
Uh, but alongside it, no, there are these I things. No, I think this is. I think this is it. Yeah. I think this is one of the most but, interesting ultimates in the game. But, but a while ago, I said the the skins, the skin that I, set that I want to see in Valorant would be like a cyberpunk skin, uh, and they didn't exactly do it, but they were at least something pretty close with a skin set called Glitch Pop, and this is like a an eighty seven dollar skin set. One one way that I like to rationalize the prices is uh, if if Radiantite didn't exist, then you're getting four skins for every gun, and you're getting a knife, right? Yeah. So in total, you're getting like 17 skins. So if it's and there's and there's tons of animations, and there's the kill sounds, and so if it's $85 divided by 17, then it's really five dollars a skin until you factor in Radiantite, and then it becomes bullshit. Yeah, then it's horseshit. They had a they had some dumb line on Reddit of like, oh, we're looking into this um, to see who likes the Radiantite and who doesn't. It's like, oh, fuck you. Who honestly, likes honestly, it? fuck you. Like, if it's, they mean by who likes it, I think what they mean is who's willing to buy it. Yeah, I, I I've bought all the skins and I haven't bought. I I one time bought Radiantite because I had a little extra over. So I'm I'm like trying to do my part in like supporting the game, but showing that like I'm not gonna. By the rating night, it just feels ridiculous. It feels deal. absolutely silly. I, if it, like there's there's ways to do this. I think that if I, I think that I would even be more comfortable buying the rating night or interacting with that dumbass system, which I don't want to be because it feels like um, the classic business tactic of like doing something terrible and then scaling it back and being like, see, don't complain anymore. It used to be worse. <laughs> like this, the yeah. Radiantite is a horrible, horrible system. It's like my absolute yeah, and, and biggest complaint. Context, what it is, is there's uh, two types of currency in Valorant. One of them is uh, money, right? So you put money into the game and you use it to buy skins. And the other is Radiantite, which is what you use to upgrade skins. So this is uh, gotten through the battle pass at a pretty reasonable rate, you'll level up your battle pass and you'll get enough Radiantite to maybe fully upgrade two or three guns. But a set comes with four guns. And if you buy multiple guns, then you're not going to get enough Radiantite. Yeah, to the sets come out really it. quick. There's multiple sets per per it's, battle pass. There's four sets per act Yeah. Uh, currently because the way that they're doing it is a new set of skins every two weeks. They're going to start recycling at some point because... Uh, how could they not, right? Like, their riot is taking a week off soon. I'm sure that, you know, they'll have to give it a rest. But for now, there's not enough Radiantite that you'll get it from the Battle Pass. So the way that you would get it is by paying a ridiculous amount of money uh, to upgrade the skins because the Radiantite that you buy outside of the Battle Pass is super fucking expensive. And there's a few reasons why they do this. First off, they assume if you're spending $80 on skins, well, maybe I'll spend $120 on skins to make them better. Or... What they're trying to do is make sure that people who buy skins are also buying the battle pass because you might think uh i paid for you know my prime skins i have a nice vandal i have a nice ghost uh why would i bother to buy the battle pass uh, but they want you to buy the battle pass so what they do is for people who buy skins uh they want you to buy the battle pass because it's the only accessible way of getting radiantite and then of course they hope that uh maybe you don't finish the battle pass and you have to buy some of the tiers of it. So uh, I'm sure the system is getting them a lot of money, but I don't really appreciate the way that Radiantite works. Uh, there has to be a, a better way. Like, I think even when they, 
I think even if they move into like the way that we've always suggested is like if you really want to do your dumbass Radiantite system that is like obviously consumer hostile and you're just like waiting for the hatred on it to die down a little bit and before you're just like just quietly not mentioning this and like make and doing that thing where you just consumers get used to something bad. Um, so if you don't want to deal, if you don't want to get rid of this awful, terrible system, then doing something like having an account level and then have the account level is the main source of Radiantite is like every 10 levels of the account level, you get 10 Radiantite or something. So it's this infinite thing that you can, uh, grind out over time and hopefully catch up to the skins and maybe save even more Radiantite and buying the, it'll be like you, there's always a source of Radiantite as long as you're playing. Um, you just need to keep playing rather than it being like there's not always a source of Raiden Knight because you need to wait for the next battle pass to ever get anymore. So at least if there was a way to always kind of grind out this stupid currency, then it would make a little bit more sense. And then the the rate buying the Raiden Knight would be like, well, it's priced badly because you're supposed to be patient. So the patient players are the ones who like you get your skin pack and you don't have all the Raiden Knight and then you just grind out account levels till you unlock it and then you feel good because you put in a lot of time into unlocking these skins rather than just paying $100 to unlock the aspects of the skin that you basically bought it for. Um, but even then, it feels like it's still dumb. It still feels like it's still dumb. I'm waiting for, like, th there's. it's not entirely outside of Riot's uh, MO to just literally get rid of this. Like, there's a, there is a chance that Riot there's is just like... Yeah. There's a precedent. Yeah, they, they, there, is, there is precedent for Riot to just literally scrap this system and be like, sorry, if you bought Radiantite, we're going to refund you in the regular currency, in the Valorant points or whatever. And um, uh, yeah, we won't, sorry, sorry about that. It was a bad system. And that, and that's it. Like, I mean, that would be, yeah. for me, that's like the best way to do it. I think you, I always think that like, you get more people buying skins that way. If, if like Galloway is always on the fence about buying Oni skins and I think there's a lot of people who have a skin pack that they'd be interested in, but they see those animations and then their next thought is just like, all right, I don't have the radiant for this. Like these skins are going to look like, like the skins when they're the base at the base model is like, they're really not, they're, they're not always that impressive. They look kind of good, but they don't have the effects, the sound, the, the, um, end of round, like kill animation. They don't have the different colors and everything. Or, you know, we, we had talked about this before is another thing of like, just removing, making it so that you could pay Radiantite, like, even, like, 15 or 20 um, for, or 30 for the different skin uh, colors and Period. the variations. So, you so, so one that you want instead of having to upgrade all the way, like, pay tons of Radiantite just to get to uh, the level where you could buy the variants, and then you have to buy them in order, right? I yeah. should just be able to buy the variant that I want. It's weird because the new skins... Uh, have have made it so that they they all look really good so it's kind of yeah. weird to have like the most expensive skin by def there, there is a most expensive skin on every line by default because it's the last one that you unlock and like yeah they're, they're great but all the other skins are great too it's kind of weird like it's kind of weird it makes me just feel weird about like if there's a gun i have and like i want to unlock everything then like maybe you're supposed to be going back in and changing the different skins like now i feel like i want the green oni not the white oni um but uh it kind of feels like if you unlock it all the way then like why would you go down like you almost like look i don't know like you have i don't, I don't even know what it is it's a dumb system it's a dumb system every which way 
Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully they change it. It's also weird because Riot has like all of the like different business models for all of their game, right? Where like Legends of Runeterra is the most generous uh, free-to-play card game there is. Like I would say that it's more generous than like Shadowverse, uh, Feria, all those types of games. Uh, Runeterra is like so friendly. Uh, there's not there's not even any packs in Runeterra, right? Which is insane. Uh, and League of Legends, like it's been around for so long, like it's kind of like this tried and true model where like it, it's not gonna like it's it's free enough to play. It, it comes from the era of like you're gonna pay for the characters, but but the prices for the characters aren't so bad. And if you've been playing the game enough, you're not gonna have to pay for the characters. But Valorant is like on, on one hand, it's totally free. Right, like there's nothing that you're gonna pay for that's gonna give you any advantage, which maybe isn't the case for Legends, uh, League of Legends, or uh, Rintera, where maybe uh, you know crafting a, a specific card will give you an advantage. Uh, but in a way, it feels like the most expensive of all their games. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, I like I like Valorant though. Oh man, I love it so much. Good game. I, I I mean, like, we've been talking about really kind of boring stuff when Killjoy released. Yeah, and so Killjoy big, also like, came out. Deathmatch right? came out. Um, I, I think it's a huge stepping stone for the game. Um, it really does feel like the best thing you can do to warm up. They're short matches. It's first to 30, and what's it? The timer, like, 10 minutes or something like that. So yeah. it's it, they're, they're short games, and it's that kind of, like, CS-style uh, deathmatch of, like, people are just freaking spawning in like all over the place so you spawn in and you shoot someone and maybe you shoot another person and then someone shoots you from behind and that's like you know that's what it is but it gets but it like it does get you warming up and like you're getting to finally in valorant do that thing that we were talking about and why there's aim trainers is because you really don't fight that much a lot a lot of the space in the in the actual game is that like slowly walking around using abilities trying to get in and then a fight can just be over in a second so this is a chance to just like for 10 minutes just like keep firing and like keep flicking all over the place and like trying to to get kills and just do just just doing raw aim and everything like that so yeah. i like it it's a good it's a good addition uh i feel like killjoy people were like angry about this character when when be, prior to her coming out and i think people that have bad opinions. people have bad opinions i think this very podcast we were like i we didn't have a strong opinion i mean she was uh like we had said last week she's like not she wasn't made in a way that is like uh post she like she was developed before the game even went to beta so um she's not like answering anything in the meta she's not like the character that the game necessarily needs but uh i do think that she is a great addition overall um i don't see a lot of people having her yet so i don't think we're at the point where you can where like she's in everyone's roster and you're gonna get her in a lot of games at the moment because i think a lot of people are still grinding out just getting her to begin with um but i like what i've seen of her so far i don't think that she is overpowered or frustrating the way that people thought she was i think she's very cool actually like she does add a lot to the game uh you said before like her ultimate is this 
kind of cool thing. It's awesome the, the way it works out in actual person. It sounded kind of frustrating, but in, in actual gameplay. It sounded very hard to understand originally. Yeah. I had no idea what it did. Yeah, so she like puts down a oh, this ultimate thing this, and it instantly goes off. You're not like hiding it anywhere. Puts down like a beacon. Yeah, you're not hiding it anywhere. It just starts doing this right away. And it charges up for 13 seconds and it hits this huge area on the map. And it, and if anyone, any enemies are inside, it it tells, it even tells your team how many people and the enemy team actually how many people were hit by this ultimate, and it locks them down to not having any abilities or weapons. So like they're just they're useless. Slowed. What? And they're slowed. Yeah. So they're just they're useless. Like they're just like they're just walking targets. So, but uh. And, and, and that happens for eight seconds. So you can just, in the event that you hit multiple people with it, you can uh, just literally run in, hold the W, and fire freely at anything without any repercussions. Um, but uh, in actuality, what happens is that the 13-second windup is so big that it turns it, it, it feels like this big event. Kind of similar to a, to the Viper ult, like you said, where it feels like this like big event that everyone's kind of playing around. Like the enemies are scurrying out; they have enough time to do it, but they have to do it like safely, and then they and you go back in. But uh, it it kind of just like it moves people around a lot. It's good for retaking. It's really good for retaking because you can just drop it on a site and make it so that like if enemies the enemies have to clear out of the site and then you can get back in safely. And as the enemies like kind of now have to like double retake, so I really, I really, really like that. Ult- I really like it. I f- it feels like it's well balanced. I think uh, was it Galloway that was talking about how it seems like thirteen seconds is like of uh, the perfect time for like walking across the entire alt. Even if you were in the worst case scenario, like you had to walk through the entire radius of it, that you could get out. Um, and the other thing is, people can break it. Like if a, if a team, like if you place the ultimate and someone pushes you, they could break it. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Okay. So I really I really like that ability. Um, I, I I think it's a fun ult, and uh, I, people were like, oh man, it's gonna it's gonna be suck playing against this kit with her uh her Molly that act that's activatable, like you said, and her like to her turret. Of like oh no, another character that does damage, and it's like. The turret hardly counts as doing damage. It's like chip damage. It's like fighting game chip damage. Like, it from a certain range, from from like far, a far enough range, it's not doing almost anything. It's doing like eight eight damage. So it is it is actually weakening you to the point where it's easier to kill you. And now they might not even need to headshot you. They might be able to shoot you in the body. Yeah, but the reason why they make it do damage is because it has to do something, right? Like, yeah. People complain like, oh, abilities in this game do damage, but what else is the turret going to do that's going to make you want to kill it? Like, if it just slowed you, then you could ignore it while you're, like, planting the bomb, right? It's like, it's like oh, okay, well, I'm going to plant the bomb. the alarm bomb. bot? Isn't the alarm bot basically that? The alarm bot is, like, a stealth bot, and then when you step near it, it, like, goes off and warns? It makes you vulnerable. Oh yeah. So it makes you vulnerable, and then you take a one hundred and fifty percent damage. Yeah. So so essentially, one of the reasons why like Killjoy is built this way is because they want to make it so that you stay near your stuff, right? They want it so that uh, 
either your stuff is synergistically placed together where your alarm bot activates and you press your molly and they die, or your alarm bot activates and you're nearby enough to where you could shoot them and kill them. So they, they wanted to design her in a way where she's not like set and forget, where you just like place your stuff down and leave. Uh, and I think that they nailed it, right? You still could do that, but there's like a, your stuff is weaker if you do it that way because you want to set up like crossfire with your turrets. You want to like be able to get the perfect molly and things like that. You want to act up on your alarm bots uh, vulnerability. And I, and I think they did a great job. I think they did a phenomenal she, job. She's she's actually fun to play around, I feel like. Yeah. And she's visually interesting. I think the voice acting is terrible. Hey, the voice acting in this I, game I is that, terrible overall, though. It's so weird. I think that they have never um, met a person outside of the United States. Yeah. I mean, it's so, it's so, it's, it's weird. I do terrible accents. And the voices in this remind, like, are almost like someone put me on the spot and was like, do a sweetest accent. And I couldn't maybe think of it at the time or think of like how you do an accent or like what where what are you supposed to do to hit the, the you know, the, car, the cartoonish version of this accent. And I'm not saying that people have to be cartoonish, but like some of the some of the purpose of like having a cast that is diverse from the world. It's like a Street Fighter thing is like the characters like speak in different languages or like they remind you of like different aspects of their culture and that's fun that's a fun thing for a for a game that has all these characters that are coming out that are from uh you know real life countries to have like a little bit of flair from that country as like a representative of it and i like that but it's so weird what they did with her because she's german but she's like a weeaboo so like her whole thing is like she's like cutesy japanese but is german and then like her accent is like i don't know what they were going for it's like I, I don't know. It's not German. It's like yeah. I don't know. I don't even know. I uh, it's it I, it's so the characters when they talk like it confuse. I know where a lot of the characters are from lore wise, but when they talk, it like further confuses me to be like, did you did you guys get the lore right or the accent wrong? Which like where you where was the mistake? One thing I but I I really like killjoy and i like how different she looks she really does have like a super unique just vibe and outline like she's like this big yellow puffy jacket she just she instantly pops she's very recognizable in like chaos and i i, I do lo love her design overall i think some there's uh great moments already with her um killjoy kind of uh counters people planting in um uh, generic spots like default spots so like a lot yeah. of maps have these spots where if people run onto site and uh they're getting shot at there's this initial place that they can uh plant the bomb behind fairly stable cover um that that like the people who are defending the site won't have a good angle at and uh they're called default spots and it just happens that people kind of always plant in these spots. But Killjoy can, like, leave the molly there. And if people are rushing, they might not notice it. And then she can just instantly kill people who are, like, trying to uh, plant the bomb and, like, don't respect the, the molly. So there's cool stuff like that. She's, she also gets to do stuff like hide the molly and then stay away and then listen to the sound of the person um, uh, trying to defuse the bomb and then just, like, set off the molly. Uh, there's cool. Yeah. There's really cool stuff with her. I really like it, and but and we're also not at the point where people know how to play around it because you can shoot it, 
it's similar to cypher where where when you're near it you get that like humming noise and you can see it kind of stealth and red but people don't do that yet i guess yeah they don't i've never had a molly cleared yeah um but they will and you know the other thing is just people learn the lineups too right like you learn like i plant here and then i run away and then i aim at this corner of the building and turn my character 90 degrees and then i throw my molly and it'll kill them yeah so you have to learn the the stuff like that which is the stuff that uh people will tell you is not part of valorant because you don't have to uh throw your smoke off of the garbage can or whatever yeah but it's there uh I'm digging her. I really, I think that I, I've agreed with you. I didn't agree with you at first. I think that I wanted it to be a slow release on characters and a faster release on maps. And now I really do feel like you don't need to make the most unique character, but adding characters to this game will uh, help the game overall. I think. Yeah. And, and I think they've done a very good job with balance, actually. To be like, I, I think that they. I agree. I agree. I think she will end up adding a unique aspect. I don't think that they should have banned her in the tournament. I really yeah. wanted to see what she was like. So I got to admit something. Uh, those are all the games I've been playing. Those are all the games that are ever out. Those are all the games that are out. Uh, so this was a great episode. Uh, I'll be the first to say it. I'll be the last to say it. Uh, this is WTDG Podcast. You can find us on WTDGpodcast.com. Spotify, iTunes. Only fans. Just look up the RSS feed. You could find us and then you could give us the thumbs up or the five stars or whatever it is that Or subscribe for the us. nude pics. Upvote us. Patreon us. Imagine if we had a Patreon, we'd probably get like two dollars a month. That oh, yeah. would be sick. I mean we could be living off that money. That could we buy could a pack of gum. Maybe even two packs, one for each of us. But let's not get ahead Wait, of ourselves. How would you you can find gum that cheap? Oh, well, I guess you, it's like small packs of gum. Or like uh, bargain brand, brand gum, maybe. That gum you like is coming back in style. Thank you, Ryan Gowan, crying for the use of your music. We use the intro and outro. Revive off the old album, Beyond the Fleeting Gales. You can't find that at the Rum for Cover Bandcamp. We look forward to new music by friend of the show, uh, and uh, cool stuff is coming down the pipeline. So maybe we'll have a new intro and outro soon. I'm very excited. If we if we ask nicely enough and we... Uh, I asked him one time for the music for the intro and outro, and I don't think he even responded to it, and I just started doing it anyway. We could just... Uh, we could just... He'll, maybe he'll make us something original for us. That's or, like light... Uh, that's like light copy... or th That's like light theft, you know? That's it's okay. It doesn't we'll harm just, anyone. Uh, we'll just... Uh, we'll... we'll pay you know we'll send him some money through, through his patreon and his only fans yeah thanks ryan thank you james video games video games